Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans, and head on over to Walters. It's going to be a big-time homestand for the Nats, and everyone is gathering at Walters before, during, and after the games in the AC or under the covered streetery. Walters is the place to be. This week's reservations are going fast, including those for Sunday, July 4th, when Walters will be opening at 9 in the morning for the early game. Make your reservations now at waltersdc.com slash reservations. I got a chance to check out Walters in person this week, and let me tell you, it's going to be hopping this holiday weekend. Make sure to check out their self-poured beer wall while hanging out with friends and watch every major sporting event on their numerous TVs. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1-2 delivery. Swing a hard ground ball to short. Knocked down by Escobar. He'll hurry the throw to second for one. No, they they call safe at second. The throw gets away. Rolling toward the dugout and over to third goes Smith. Now no one's covering the plate. Gomes races over to cover there. All hands are safe first and third. Swero deals. Swing a dribbler, third base side. Tough chance. Castro gloves. Hurries the throw and it is not in time. And the Dodgers take the lead. A chopping infield single to third. Castro did all he could. And the Dodgers take advantage of the Nationals' error and score and lead 4-3. Jansen coming set now. Runners lead first and second, two out. The kick in the 0-2. Swing and a line drive caught by the shortstop, Lux. And the game is over. And the Dodgers have taken three in a row here at Nationals Park. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, July 4th, 2021. Happy July 4th to everyone listening, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, you could say that things have turned for the Nationals over these last few days. A 5-3 loss to the Dodgers at Nationals Park on Saturday night in a game that featured a rain delay of 1 hour 44 minutes and then took an actual 3 hours 21 minutes. Nats have gone from having won 14 to 17 to now having lost the first three games of this big four-game set with the Dodgers at Nats Park. You now have a literal truckload of players out for the Nationals due to injury. The injury news for the Nats, incredibly, getting even worse on Saturday. More on that in a bit. But it really was a shame to me, Mark, what happened on Saturday. First sellout at Nationals Park since the pandemic. The official pitcher of the Nats Chat Podcast, Paolo Espino, facing off with Clayton Kershaw. Things end up not going very well. The fireworks even end up not happening. The night ends up being largely a dud, and so far this series has been a dud. We'll see what happens on Sunday morning, but uh, this has been a reality check here for the Nationals over these last few days. 
It has. And I mean, obviously, you would have liked to come away with at least one win in these three games. And they were in position to do that a couple of times. I got to tell you, when Jan Gomes hit the three-run homer off Clayton Kershaw, tied the game, the crowd was going nuts. It felt like that was going to be a real moment there and that maybe they could build off it. And then it was only a few minutes later, he literally made it rain with that homer and just started coming down and it just threw the whole game out of whack. And not that they played terribly the rest of the way, but just a couple little things that they couldn't do in the field to allow the Dodgers to score. And then they once again could not deliver with some big spots at the plate late. And the guys coming up to bat in those spots were really not the guys you would like to have coming up to bat in those spots. So this team is very much shorthanded right now. It's been on display all weekend. It's clear the Dodgers at the moment have a better roster than the Nationals. That's not a huge shock. The big picture question here is, is what we've seen this week a sign of what's still to come now? Or is this just a little blip here because they're so beat up and they're playing one of the very best teams in the league and that once they get through this stretch, things are going to turn back for the better? I don't know the answer to that yet, but it's been a frustrating few days to be sure. I think what's hard too right now is the biggest injury that's been suffered over the last few days is an injury that seemingly is going to keep this guy out for a while, and that is this Kyle Schwarber situation. So the Nats on Saturday put Schwarber on the 10-day injured list with a right hamstring strain. The good news, I guess you could say, is that the injury is not going to require surgery, but the way this thing keeps being talked about, this is going to be, what, three, four weeks minimum? I mean, that's kind of the sense you get. I mean, Schwarber on Saturday saying that the injury is, quote, a pretty decent injury, end quote, Maybe this ends up healing a whole lot quicker than we thought, but personally, like I don't expect to see Schwarber till at least August. It's such a shame. The guy comes off the month of his life and then like immediately gets hurt. I mean, you feel for the guy in that regard. It's also, remember, a contract season for Kaz Schwarber, but what a blow to the Nationals, at least in the moment here. You know, this is an ads team, right, that really didn't take off offensively to any degree until Kyle Schwarber went on his June tear. And then like immediately at the conclusion of that June tear, he suffers a hamstring injury that looks like it's going to keep him out for a while. Yeah, I might even go, I'm interpreting here, but I might even go longer than your projected timeline and say four to six weeks. It's hard to tell. Either they don't really know or they're not willing to say for certain. He did say, obviously, this is nothing like when he tore his ACL, a season-ending injury. The fact he doesn't need surgery was encouraging to him, but he also knows it's going to take a while till he can even get to a point that he can start doing activities to build up again. So I do think it's going to be at least a month and very likely more than that. And yeah, the timing could not be worse. Not that we expected him to continue at that rate, but he, more than anybody else, is the reason that the team went on that run for about two and a half weeks. And without him, they're going to have to find it from someone else. Now, I do think they have other players who are capable of helping carry the load offensively. Their names are Trey Turner and Juan Soto. One of them isn't playing again yet. Maybe he will on Sunday. The other is not playing like he's supposed to be playing. And that's a problem. So if they're going to survive without Kyle Schwarber for the month or however long it is, I think Trey Turner and Juan Soto are going to have to play a huge role in it. Yeah, and you look at what the lineup was for this game on Saturday night. Josh Harrison was the leadoff batter. Ryan Zimmerman was the number three batter. Starling Castro was the cleanup batter. I know he's been better lately, but he's still Starling Castro. Alcides Escobar was the number seven batter. Like, this was what the lineup was. We'll get to Escobar in a moment. But there was another big injury item that popped up on Saturday, and that is that the Nats put Alex Avila on the 10-day IL, retroactive to July 2nd, with 
bilateral calf strains. We're not used to hearing that phrase, but that was the phrase applied to Avila. And the obvious question mark is, did Alex suffer the bilateral calf strains due to having to play second base in that rain-shortened game of this series against the Dodgers? In other words, is this kind of a, a situation of one thing leading to another? Because Trey Turner and Jordy Mercer were out, you end up seeing Alex Avila play second base. He gets hurt, and now all of a sudden it's like one thing is on top of another in terms of guys continuing to get hurt here. Yeah, it was the Thursday game, the opener, and that was the rain-shortened game, so it was five innings. And yeah, nobody has flat-out confirmed that that's the reason, and the news came out pretty late after we'd already spoken to Davey Martinez pregame, but he played the field for the first time in a long time, and remember, he's running back and forth between second base and third base, changing positions a lot, and just was moving around way more than he has in a long time, and, and a very different kind of movement than he's used to as a catcher. And now he has strained both of his calves. That's what the bilateral means. It is both calves were strained. So I think it's pretty easy to interpret why that happened. And the fact that he was even put in that position is pretty bad and a pretty big indictment of the state of the situation. Now, yes, we've talked about all the injuries, the chain of events that had to happen to get him there. But the Nationals still found themselves needing to put a 34-year-old backup catcher as their starting second baseman. And it was only for five innings. If that game had gone nine, who knows what else would have happened to him. That's not a position that anyone like that should ever have to be put in. Certainly not to start a game. Something happens in a game, okay, you have an emergency. But to start a game, that should not happen. The Nats really are getting exposed with their lack of depth in this series. And I think both things can be true. Yes, this mess that is right now the Nationals roster is in part a function of this confluence of bad events and just all these injuries happening at both the major and minor league levels. But also, yes, the Nats are an extremely shallow team. They don't have a lot of depth, and they are getting woefully exposed in that regard over these last few days. I mean, you've had now four different starting shortstops over the last four games, three different starting shortstops in this series. You call up this guy, Umberto Arteaga, to start game two of the series at shortstop. He gets DFA'd the next day. Okay, like this is where they are. They acquire this guy, Alcides Escobar, from the Kansas City Royals. Escobar had not played in the majors since 2018. He ends up being the Nats' starting shortstop on Saturday, and I would assume on Sunday too. And Escobar was actually their number seven batter in this game on Saturday night. Like this is the state of their roster. And, and Mark, I could not believe this when I saw this on Saturday night. They used John Lester as a pinch hitter again. I couldn't get over that. I thought this was a joke when Lester was coming up to bat. Davey Martinez, for whatever reason, I don't understand why he keeps doing this, has John Lester pinch hit. And of course, what happens? Lester has no business pinch hitting. He ends up striking out on five pitches exactly as he did on Friday night. But it's like one snapshot after another in this series of how bad the state of the Nats roster is, yes, in part due to injury, but also, yes, in part because of this bad roster construction that we've talked about many times and the juxtaposition of all this being on display against a team that excels, right, when it comes to roster construction and depth and having guys who can play different positions in the Dodgers. It just really slaps you right in the face if you're a Nats fan. Yeah, so I've been waiting all night for you to ask me about this one because I knew (laughs) you were going to be fired up about it. It's unbelievable. No, and rightfully so. Now, here's what we didn't know last night that we now know is that the reason John Lester pinch hit in the the first time is because Alex Avila was not available. And they essentially had, I think, a two-man bench 
for that game, maybe even less. I'm trying to remember now who they had. So again, this is on them for putting a roster out there that did not have enough viable bench options. And before any of these guys got hurt, they were working with a four-man bench and a nine-man bullpen. And we have talked about why was that the case? Why was Jeffrey Rodriguez on the roster all this time? Why were all these relievers on the roster? They did not need them, at least not for more than a day or two when they were kind of up a creek from a pitching standpoint. But since then, it's stabilized. I don't know the answer to that question, but I think even people with the Nationals have been wondering that, why they were going with a short bench all this time. And after all that, to now get to Saturday's game and still be dealing with a short bench. They made moves. They brought in Escobar. They called up Yadiel Hernandez. They called up Tress Barrera to replace Avila. And in spite of all that, they still go into this game with only a four-man bench. And one of those guys is Trey Turner, who I guess was available to pinch hit in an emergency. He was on deck at the very end. But it sounds like he wouldn't have been able to play the field. If somehow they tied the game and went to extra innings, Josh Bell was going to play the outfield. So how do you allow yourself to keep going into these games shorthanded like that? I do not understand that. Why did he go with Lester there? Again, he's only got a couple of guys to pinch hit. And he's saying, Davey's saying, that with two outs and nobody on base, it's not worth burning one of his real pinch hitters in that spot. He's going to save him for late. But here's the problem. You get to the ninth. You have the winning run at the plate, and you let Gerardo Parra and Alcides Escobar bat for themselves. And then you finally have Josh Bell pinch hit for Robles with Trey Turner in the on-deck circle. So the two don't match up together. If you're saving them, then you got to be willing to now use them when you actually have a chance and not wait till the absolute last second to do it. It starts with poor roster construction, but then it's this hesitancy to go for it when you have your best opportunity and holding on to guys for a situation that may or may not ever arrive. I like Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez a lot. This is amateur hour, what we've seen these last few games. It really is. And it starts with the roster, but it does continue with some of these in-game things that, that are popping up that it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I know it's not easy right now, but you're not doing yourself any favors with the situation you currently have. There were real hitters on the bench they could have used instead of John Lester. So, like, put Tress Barrera if you have to, or pick somebody. The John Lester thing is is a joke, and it's unfair to Lester. He's not a hitter. Like, he looks completely flummoxed when he's up there. Do you know the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman on yeah. Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He put up a video of Lester being completely embarrassed in his plate appearance on Saturday night. It was a complete joke, that plate appearance. I don't understand it. Why not just let the reliever bat? Like, why is Lester all of a sudden this great hitting pitcher in Davey's mind? Like, that to me is kind of odd. But it's really bad. It's it's not a good look at all. And there are some teams with, that when they get backed into a corner, they kind of figure out a way to win, right? They come up with, they kind of pull all the right strings and they end up coming through with a win when they shouldn't. And the Nats, it feels like right now, they're backed into the corner and then they're making things worse with the way they continue to operate and with some of these in-game decisions. I, I just, I could not stand that. And it happened again. Like, it's one thing to happen once. It happened again, back-to-back games here against the Dodgers. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. 
Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers, is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games, You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two balls, two strikes. Here's the pitch. Swing a long drive, left field, down the line, toward the corner. This game is tied. Jan Gomes with a rainmaker, a high three-run drive into section 105, about four rows deep. The Nationals three, the Dodgers three. Home run number eight for Jan Gomes has tied this ball game. Well, you mentioned the biggest bright spot for the Nationals offensively. It was that Jan Gomes home run, and that was a great spot by Jan, who ends up getting on base three times in the game, three-run homer walk, and a hit-by-pitch that he was not happy about at all. That was interesting. But Gomes with the homer, the two-out, three-run shot of Dodger starter Clayton Kershaw to left field in the Nationals' three-run fourth inning. Gomes is actually down in that plate appearance at one point. One, two. You noted this on Twitter. Here are the official numbers now. Jan Gomes is slugging better than Juan Soto is on the season. Jan Gomes' slugging percentage now is at 434. Juan Soto's is at 433. It, of course, says something about Gomes. It also says a lot about Soto. But what a shot by Gomes. That was a great plate appearance. Yeah, a big time moment for him against a future Hall of Famer. And look, there were plenty of people who, when they saw the Nats go down 3 nothing in the fourth, thought, uh-oh, that's it, forget about it. And to their credit, they got a couple guys on base, and then Jan Gomes hammered a slider from Clayton Kershaw to left field. Maybe decibel-wise, it was the loudest roar we've heard all year just because it was 40,000 fans, 42,000 fans, the most that, that we've seen in a long time. 
I would say there wasn't quite as much into it as a few other ones that we've seen this year with smaller crowds just because the moment was bigger late in the game, a walk-off or a, a key moment late in the game. But that was still a big-time moment in front of a full house, and it meant a lot, and you felt like, okay, this could actually turn this game now, and our boy Paolo Espino is going to be off the hook and maybe be able to even get into a position to get through five or even six innings, and here we go. And unfortunately, like I said, Gomes's homer literally made it rain. It was like at the exact same moment. It starts raining. They got through two more batters, one more in the fourth, one in the top of the fifth, and then the heavens opened up. Al, I'm telling you, at first pitch tonight, 78 degrees. It was perfect. No humidity. This was the nicest July 3rd this town's ever had. And yet it still somehow rained and forced the game into a one hour and 44 minute delay. There is a dark cloud hovering over this team and this stadium right now. And it literally happened in this game. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe the the, uh, the baseball gods thought Eric Fetty was in the stadium or something. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, did, it, it, it did kind of feel that way. And it's too bad because Nationals fans showed up big time. I mean, what a job by Nats fans to sell out the ballpark on this Saturday night. I mean, you cannot say enough about that. The crowd was into it. I think the crowd got more into it during the rain delay because everybody had a chance to get lubed up for that whole deal. The fans did their part. The Nationals, unfortunately, could not in this game. I do want to mention Starling Castro again. And I, I said it, you know, he's a, he's a cleanup batter. That's not the place he's supposed to be. But he does continue to get on base, put together hits. I mean, no, doesn't hit for much power, but two for three with a couple of singles and a walk in this game on Saturday night. So a good job by him. But, you know, way too little beyond the people we just mentioned. You know, Juan Soto remains in this Juan Soto-esque funk of he gets on base, but doesn't hit for power. 0 for 3 with a walk. Another double play. In this game on Saturday night, 3-6-3 double play for the first two outs in the bottom of the first inning. That's now 13 double plays for Soto this year. I know he was leading the majors in double play coming into games on Saturday with 12. Gerardo Parra, everyone loves the baby shark. The baby shark was the uh, the baby goldfish in this game on Saturday night. He, of course, now is the national starting left fielder, you, you would think, moving forward, right? With Kosh Warber out, 0-4 with a couple of strikeouts. Leaves five men on base, strikes out on four pitches with the bases loaded, two outs, bottom of the six, strikes out on five pitches, runners on first and second, no outs in the bottom of the ninth. Ryan Zimmerman continues to underwhelm lately, 0 for 4 with a strikeout on Saturday night. He went 0 for 4 in the game on Friday night. And my guy, Victor Robles, uh, not a banner night for him, 0 for 3, and he gets thrown out trying to steal second base for the third out in the bottom of the seventh. I don't know if that was a hit and run or not. Harrison, I think, was batting and swung it and missed at the pitch. But whatever the case, Robles was out. Initially, was called safe. And then you saw the replay. You're like, how the heck was that called safe? That was as quick of a review as you'll ever see. Uh, he was dead to rights on that play. Bad, bad call by uh, <laughs> uh, Laz Diaz at second base. It wouldn't be the first time, unfortunately, that Laz has missed one. I mean, I could see from 500 feet away that the throw beat him by a mile. Robles really, I'm sorry, had a bad night. It's not just that. He pops up a bunt. That did not go well, obviously. Didn't come through with chances at the plate. Ends up getting pinch hit for in the ninth. And then there was also, it's one of these little things, but it's a throw on a sacrifice fly in the fourth inning that he throws to third base when he really didn't have a chance at it. And that allowed the trailing runner to move up. And if you want to extrapolate that all out, it helped allow another run to score before the inning was over. We talk about these little things all the time with him and they're still cropping up. He is not doing nearly enough in the other departments outside of his, his overall defense to make up for those little mistakes. And those little mistakes keep adding up and costing them at times. I mean, 
if there's nothing else that Victor Robles should be able to do right now at the plate, it's get down a bunt. If you're not hitting for any power, if you're not delivering in other spots, you got to be able to get a bunt down because it actually could be a weapon for him if he does it well. And in this case, he's just trying to move the runner up and he pops it up. Those things are killing him. And this is why he's still hitting eighth in this lineup behind guys who are bad hitters or haven't even been in the big leagues for any length of time. And he's still hitting behind them because he has not shown that he's earned the right to hit any higher than that. You can tell Davey gets very frustrated with Robles because I, I think part of why Victor continues to bat so low and bat behind the likes of, you know, Alcides Escobar is it's almost like messaging from Davey, I, I feel like, that he gets annoyed with these little things that Robles does. The bunt, by the way, dropped by Justin Turner. Dodgers have been sloppy defensively at various points in this series. And the throw scenario that you referenced with Robles, I don't know if you could hear it in the press box or not. John Smoltz hammered Robles for that on the Fox telecast. And not a good decision by Robles. He not only threw the ball all the way to third base, but he allowed the trail runner to get to second base and not keep the double play in order. That one was so deep, you've got to throw the ball to second base. I know he's got a great arm, but there's the percentage of throwing him out at third are really low, and he threw it so high that there was an easy read for Bellinger to get to second. All right, our guy. Paolo Espino, an abbreviated outing in his duel with Clayton Kershaw on this 5-3 loss to the Dodgers at Nationals Park on Saturday night. The final line is not pretty. Three runs in four into third innings. He does end up being pulled from the game after the rain delay of one hour, 44 minutes. So you could say, hey, we'll never know what Paolo would have done had he been able to remain in the game. By the way, with the onset of that delay, so they start the fifth inning. Espino gets Mookie Betts on a ground out while it's like monsooning at Nationals Park. Why did they begin that fifth inning when it was pretty clear a delay was coming? I thought that was pretty strange on Saturday night. Yeah, I have no idea why that happened. It was obvious to me and anybody with a a phone looking at the radar that this wasn't just going to be a little shower they could play through. Maybe they had information to think that it wasn't going to come down that hard, but it was clear it was going to be pretty bad. It wasn't going to last. It lasted a lot longer than I think we all thought it would. But at the very minimum, we knew there was going to be a pretty intense shower to start it off. And you had the perfect opportunity. The inning's over. It's already raining. Bring in the tarp. I don't know. I mean, it thankfully didn't really cost anybody in the end. But here's what I'm going to say about Paolo. Okay, it was not his best. And the three walks, one of them intentional. But that was the really surprising thing. That has not been his MO at all. In fact, he came into this game, I looked it up, among all pitchers with at least 35 innings this year, he had the lowest walk rate in the majors, one per nine innings. And he ends up walking both Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger in a a span of three batters in the fourth inning. And sure enough, they both come around to score. And he said that he didn't realize it in the moment, but he thinks he was recognizing how good the Dodgers lineup is and trying to get be a little too fine with it and not just going after them. I think I was trying to be a little careful because I knew how, how good their lineup was. It's not that I was running away, but I was aware that they were very a very good lineup. So I think I was trying to hit my spots too much, like too perfectly. And uh, I mean, they, the balls, they were ending up a little bit off the, off the plate. What he does best is just go after hitters, throw strikes, and force them to hit off him. And for that little moment there, he allowed that to get to him. It was unfortunate. But at the end of all that, okay, three runs in four and a third, Clayton Kershaw gave up three runs in four innings. And so I am declaring that Paolo Espino outpitched Clayton Kershaw as we all knew he would in this game. Paolo is the victor in the duel with Kershaw in the Saturday night showdown at Nationals Park. I'm with you on that. You know, the thing is, 
three runs at four in the third innings isn't good. It's not like Espino got shelled. I mean, he only gave up three hits, a double and two singles. He had the three walks, but one of them was intentional. The thing that stood out, and Paolo clearly alluded to this in his postgame conversation with you guys, he was un-Espino-like in that he was not throwing strikes like we know he can. Paolo Espino threw 70 pitches, 41 strikes versus 29 balls. That's not what we're used to. We're used to Paolo doing like the Max Scherzer thing of having two strikes for every one ball thrown. That was not the case in this game. But Paolo was not the biggest problem in this game. Let's make that clear. Davey Martinez ends up using six relief pitchers in this game on Saturday night. The six Nats relievers combined to allow two runs, one earned in four and two-thirds innings. Ryan Harper, Wander Suero, Sam Clay, Austin Voth, and then uh, Kyle Squared in the ninth inning that uh, refused to go away. That top of the ninth, man, Kyle McGowan, bro, can you just can you just get three outs, please? Okay, he couldn't do that. Uh, Kyle Lobstein has to be summoned. He faces one batter, mercifully gets a third out. But here's the thing that's going to stick with me with this game from a bullpen standpoint, and I know to anyone who watched the game on TV, this certainly jumped out to you. So Ryan Harper faces two batters at the conclusion of the rain delay, gets two outs, but we'll never know what those outs look like because Fox 5 in D.C. inexplicably continued to show the Boston Red Sox-Oakland A's game, which was being shown during the rain delay. I don't understand how you can't just switch right back to Nats Dodgers. Clearly, someone screwed up somehow. This was really strange. It was very frustrating. And you're like, okay, it's one thing to maybe miss a pitch or two, although even to me, that's inexcusable. But all right, maybe sometimes things happen. You end up missing two batters, the conclusion of an inning, because Fox, for whatever reason, was still on Red Sox-A's. I don't understand that at all. But people were going nuts about this on social media, and rightfully so. In 2021, this isn't the Heidi game with Raiders-Jets decades ago. This is 2021, and we can't switch back to Nats-Dodgers? That was a joke. It was baffling, and I can tell you that the TVs in the press box, the same thing was happening. So the game has resumed, and the TVs are showing Red Sox A's, and then it did finally switch at the end of that inning. Now, here's what's so bizarre, and this is why I think this may be a local TV issue as opposed to a national TV issue. I immediately put it out on Twitter asking, hey, what game are you guys all getting? I had somebody in California tell me that they went immediately to the Nats-Dodgers game. So in D.C. it didn't happen. And then they finally come back, but it was only Fox 5 in D.C. I had people who live in Maryland who get the Baltimore stations, and it never came back. They got stuck with 12 innings of Red Sox and A's. So the coverage map of the country, it was the number one game on Fox. It wasn't the whole country, but it was a lot of the East Coast, obviously the West Coast and a few other places that were getting this game. And it appears, as best as I can tell, that once it resumed, it was only in California and maybe just confined to the D.C. immediate market that got the rest of this game. I don't know if that's a Fox network decision. I don't know if that's a local TV decision, but I know it upset a lot of fans, and I agree, rightfully so, especially if this game had turned a little bit differently at the end. And hey, they had a chance to win in dramatic fashion in the bottom of the ninth, and there were a whole lot of people that saw the beginning of the game who didn't even have the option to see the end of the game. That can't happen in 2021. And I will tell you who should really be furious, and that is the Washington Nationals. This is a showcase night for you. Saturday night, holiday weekend against the Dodgers. Espino is pitching, all right? No, but seriously, this game needs to be on, at the very least, on the Fox affiliate in D.C. every pitch. That's not asking for a lot. You know, you're not on your normal channel of Masson. You're on Fox for this game, and you get gypped like that. And I know it's only two banners, and the Nats lose, and, like, this will probably be forgotten by many people weeks from now. But that's not the point. That's not right to the Nationals. That's not right to Nats fans. That was embarrassing what went down 
with Fox 5 on Saturday night. Hopefully there's a good explanation for this. I can't really think of one, though, here. To miss two batters like that, who knows what could have happened in that inning. And we got to blame Fox for one more thing, and that is the lack of fireworks. And here's why. The Nationals traditionally start their July 3rd game at 6.05. And the reason they do that is because, first of all, there's a quick turnaround to the 11.05 game on Sunday, but also because D.C. has a, an ordinance that says you can't set off fireworks after a certain time. I think it's 11 p.m. And because they got burned many years ago by that, they decided let's move the game up to six to allow for time in case it's a long game, rain delay, whatever, and we can still set off fireworks. Well, what happened? Fox picked up this game, which bumps it to 7.15 with extra long commercials for the national broadcast. Now you add that and the rain delay, and they announced finally, after 11 p.m., the game's going on, they announced in the stadium that the fireworks show was off and the crowd. I I was so impressed with how many people stayed. It was almost 1130 when they announced it. How many folks stuck around? And I know, yes, we want to think they all stuck around for baseball, but no, a lot of them stuck around for fireworks. And when that announcement was made, there was a legitimate boo from a lot of people. And I don't blame them at all. They sat through a rain delay and all that to not get their fireworks. And if they want to blame someone, you can blame D.C. for the noise ordinance, but you can also blame Fox for picking up the game and bumping it to 715. A dud of a night. A dud of a series in so many ways so far. This has been like a Murphy's Law scenario of like one bad thing after another over these last few days. Game four, Nats Dodgers at Nats Park. Sunday morning at 11.05, just a few hours from now as we tape this very early on Sunday morning. Joe Ross is pitching for the Nationals. The Dodgers, last check, had not announced the starter. I don't know if they have since I last checked here. The starter was supposed to be Trevor Bauer. But Major League Baseball on Friday announced that Bauer has been placed on seven-day administrative leave while MOB continues to investigate the sexual assault claims that have been brought against Bauer. We both pretty much surmised it was very unlikely Bauer was going to be allowed to pitch in this game on Sunday. And sure enough, he isn't. So the Nats are catching a break. You know, they're not facing Walker Buehler in this series. They're now not facing Trevor Bauer in this series, and yet they're on the brink of being swept over four games. Nats are in a tough spot. We get that from a roster standpoint, but geez, can you get at least a game in this series? You're catching the break with no Bauer. If good Joe Ross shows up on Sunday, and that's an if, but if he does, really would be nice to see the Nats get at least one game out of this four-game series. Yeah, it would. We talked about going into this about the need just to hold you know, through this, to survive this stretch. They didn't have to thrive, but you get... You got to be able to win a few, and that means at least one out of four against the Dodgers. Now, we don't know exactly who's starting for them. I think David Price is going to be pitching at some point, and he's good for maybe three innings. They're going to call up a guy, a right-hander, Edwin Useta, who, according to Dave Roberts, is good to go 75 or 80 pitches if they need. But it's going to be one of these games where you're seeing a lot of pitchers, some unconventional things, maybe even an opener. We'll see how he chooses to play this all out. But the Nats are going to see a lot of different pitchers and they need to score some runs off whoever it is. I don't know if Trey Turner is going to be in the lineup. The fact he was there to pinch hit at the end, if need be, maybe gives you a little bit of optimism. But if not, they are going to need these other names to come through for them against what should not be the Dodgers' best pitchers. They've got a very good and deep pitching staff, but they're not going to be seeing the best of them. They need a good start from Joe Ross. Maybe Brad Hand can actually get into a game, win or lose, would be nice. And they've got to score some runs and try to salvage a a win and, you know, at least uh, have a nice 4th of July before they then head all the way out west to face the Padres with no off day. I mean, these guys are exhausted right now. 
the game ended at 12.22 a.m. The next game starts at 11.05 a.m. They got to go home, pack up, come to the ballpark, play this game, get on a plane, fly six hours to San Diego, and then play on Monday night. This is a really, really brutal stretch for them. It could unravel for the Nats here. This is a uh, this is a tenuous spot they're in here over the next week with the state of the roster, with the competition, with the fact that the team is heading out west. Well, whatever happens on Sunday, I just hope that Davey picks the right spot to deploy John Lester as the pinch hitter, okay? I want I want Davey to be judicious in that and just make sure he picks the just the right spot to deploy Lester to strike out on five pitches. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. The Secret Weapon t-shirts are available. He's still the Secret Weapon. You can get yours by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. can also get yourself a good-looking Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. And thank you to all of you who have worn your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts to Nationals Park in recent days, including on Saturday night. I know Tim Shover's got to meet a lot of great Nats Chat podcast listeners. We appreciate all you guys doing that so much. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time, heck, in just a few hours on the Nats Chat podcast. Broadway Joe Namath was one of the most revered players of the 60s, but his appeal was deemed irrelevant to the television demographic of females aged 6 to 10. In 1968, NBC allocated three hours for the telecast of a Jets-Raiders game, which was to be followed by the network premiere of Heidi, a film for children. Numerous penalties and timeouts caused the game to run longer than expected. With a minute left on the game clock, the Jets were ahead by three points. And the guy pushes the button at 7 o'clock, and away they went. And here's the game going right down the crapper. The Jets kicked off to the Raiders as Heidi scaled the Alps with her grandfather. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.